I was so lucky in like the reception being good. I think I had one or two good articles that like Substack CEO reached out to me and was like, how are you growing so fast? This is Creator Habits, the show that looks at how creators build their audiences one day, one follower, and one habit at a time. I'm Alina, your host, a startup founder turned content creator and indie maker. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I'm here with Edwin Dorsey, the creator of the featured Substack newsletter, The Bear Cave, which focuses on exposing corporate misconduct. Today, we talk with Edwin about going from launch to making six figures in less than a year, plus his habits around growth, the Twitter newsletter flywheel, and so much more. With over 30,000 readers, Edwin's insights are going to be a treat. Edwin, thank you so much for joining me. Alina, thanks so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. Likewise. I wanted to start just by having you do a really brief introduction of how did you start Bear Cave? I've read that you started thinking about it or doing something with it in college. Absolutely, Alina. So I'm 23 right now, one year out of college. And throughout my time in college, I I would publish a lot of stuff online. And I always noticed I'd get a lot of good feedback. I noticed publishing online is a great way to network. And I worked at hedge funds on and off all four years of my college experience. But I was graduating right into the pandemic. The fund I really wanted to work for was shutting down. And I wasn't sure, you know, where I could work. And I talked to a lot of New York City hedge funds, but I I, I knew I also wouldn't love it because I'd hate wearing a suit and working long hours and having bosses tell you to model. It was totally not my style. So that's what got me interested in potentially starting something independently. I saw Substack was taking off. And for those who don't know, Substack is a platform that makes it super easy and free to start an email newsletter. So I, I tweeted out that I was starting a weekly newsletter where I'd just like recap stuff going on in the activist short selling world. And it got 300 signups. And then the next week, there was 400 then 500. And it just kept growing. And the feedback was really good that by September of 2020. So almost a year ago, uh, I, I launched a paid version. And it just took off from there. And it was probably the best decision I've ever made. How did you figure out this is what I want to write about? So Alina, I've been passionate about stocks from a really young age, like second grade, Freshman year of college, I met two of the best short sellers out there, and they became my mentors. Uh, And for those who don't know, short selling is betting against companies. So just because I had that expertise working for four years for really talented short sellers and seeing how they deconstruct companies, read lawsuits, talk to former employees, file FOIA requests, that's kind of the only thing I knew how to do really well. Uh, That's like the only thing I'd be really qualified to start a Substack on. I'm curious, before you started, had you already been like in the practice of writing? I I was a little, but not, not really. Um, I'd occasionally written like long pieces on companies that I thought were bad before. One thing that differentiates me from a lot of other newsletter authors is I actually don't put that much out in terms of like, you know, words per month. I like to joke, I get paid a ton just to send six emails per month. Four of them are kind of structured and very easy to do where I'm just recapping events. And the two that go to my paid subscribers, they're like, you know, a thousand words each, highlighting red flags at a company, which I know how to do well. So so, so really, you know, my, my entire job is writing 2000 words 
per month. At least in the email newsletter world, people might think, oh, I need to write a lot. I want the people want to hear more, especially if they're paying for it. No one in the world wants more email. Like I don't know anyone on the planet who wants more emails. People want good quality thinking that helps them be more productive. So generally, the, you know, the advice I'd give anyone is write less and just make it better. I wonder, are there weeks where you've done some reading and you're like, hmm, nothing piques my interest. Oh, shit, I have. <laughs> I have a deadline coming up. I'm just like, does it ever like does the system ever break down? Well, yes, kind of. So I, I because I look at so many things, I have like just a list of five potential write ups that I think would be decent, but not home runs. So if I don't have like a home run thing, I can just fall back on my list of decent write ups. You know, I'm not even sure if that's the best model. Maybe I should tell paid subscribers, hey, if I don't have anything really outstanding, I'm not going to send an email. But then if people are paying $44 a month for two emails and I don't send one of the emails, I'm not sure how that would be received. So yeah, you know, it's not always perfect. The key is after you do this a lot, you know, you're going to be on average thinking of more than one idea per, per, per cycle. So you have some leftovers that you, you can use if needed. I, I would love for you to talk more about what a week in the life of Edwin looks like. <laughs> A week in life. Well, first I'll give you like a day in the life to start. And, you know, I have a really weird schedule. I wake up like around 10 or 11. I like to sleep in. I get breakfast. I read on the roof of my building for a little. And I usually schedule like all my phone calls between like 3 and 6 p.m. So 3 and 6 p.m. is just phone calls with people and podcasts and that sort of thing. You know, I'll work out. I'll read more. Um, and then I do all my like computer research on between the hours of like 10 p.m. and like 4 a.m. So this is already a pretty weird schedule. And that's kind of like almost like what all my days look like. Um, usually I'll, I'll, I'll schedule a bunch of lunches and dinners with people um, on like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Um, but basically I, I never schedule like anything before 2 p.m. unless it's like absolutely needs to be done. And I hate having things on my schedule. So like if someone reaches out to me and you know, usually my big response is just like, here's my phone number call me whenever because I really am not like a fan of having things like one thing on your day, then, you know, that, that impacts it a lot. So you talked a little bit about just the process of writing and when you write during your day. Uh, but I'm kind of curious about the process of growing this newsletter. You haven't been doing for, it for very long. And I just wanted to understand before you started your newsletter, did you already have a lot of followers? I had like 3,000. I don't think it was a ton. It wasn't nothing, but but it was something. And then since usually a newsletter will grow in sync with the Twitter because if you're doing it well, you're going to take the content from the newsletter and republish snippets of it on Twitter. So my newsletter has grown from zero to 18,000 people on the free version. And during that time, my Twitter has gone from 3,000 to 42,000. So it's a very symbiotic relationship. Most newsletter authors get between 50 and 80% of their new sign ups from Twitter, which is kind of an incredible fact. The joke I like to tell people is people get as much traffic from Facebook as they get from DuckDuckGo. So Twitter is totally the platform to grow an email newsletter. And the other thing, if you're starting out with a small audience, it's a lot easier to go from zero to 10,000 on Twitter than it is to go from zero to 10,000 emails just writing a blog. 
because of that, if you're trying to start and don't have too much of a following, make a Twitter, start replying, doing threads, get from zero to 2000, and then use that to get your first few hundred email signups. I've heard about this idea of this newsletter Twitter flywheel before, but I'm curious what that looks like in practice. Like, how do you use Twitter to either validate your ideas or to grow? How long do you spend on Twitter? Yeah, what's your Twitter life look like? I use Twitter two, three hours a day. I love it. Uh, I follow a lot of accounts. And if they send something interesting, uh, then that might get a company on my radar. If somebody's like, hey, company XYZ has a lot of bad consumer reviews, you know, then I know, okay, let me start looking into this. So oftentimes when you're thinking about doing something, you want to share a little bit in a tweet and you can see the reception of that tweet. And if the reception to the tweet isn't good, then, you know, maybe shelve this for a future date. But if tweets on a certain topic are getting a ton of traction, then I know, well, let me turn those tweets into an article because I know the article is going to get even more traction. So using Twitter to kind of like find, you know, topics within what I do is something I do a lot. For example, there's a big ETF firm called ARK Invest, and they were having some like liquidity slash performance issues um, a few months ago. And I, I noticed other people tweeting about it were getting a lot of engagement. I tweeted once or twice about it and it would get like a thousand likes, you know, 50 retweets and tons of replies. And I'm like, wait, there's a big demand for somebody to come in here, do some real research and share a blog post on this. And, you know, because I saw that my tweets on it were getting such a good reception, I spent 10 hours to write like the first big blog post on what was going on. And that got like, is my most read piece. So at what point did you say to yourself, okay, I have either enough of a Twitter following or enough of a newsletter readership to start the paid version? I started the free tier, the, just in the newsletter a year and a half ago, and I started the paid tier a year ago. But the paid tier took off like right away. Uh, I was so lucky in like the reception being good. And I think I had one or two good articles that like Substack CEO reached out to me and was like, how are you growing so fast? And uh, just, you know, once the... And it, what did you say? <laughs> I, I said, you built a good platform. But... It, it, it just shocked me, like, not to be arrogant here, but, you know, I, I hit, I think, the hundred grand in revenue mark within, like, two and a half months. And, like, once you're at that, that, like, kind of covers your needs. It's like a 23-year-old. You can't possibly be spending more than that. And it's, like, you know, newsletters and just any online creator business, when it works, it really works. Because then they continue to grow 20% a month. You know, not too many people cancel if you're doing a good job. It just compounds. And if you're growing 20% a month, it doubles every four months well counterintuitively once you get big it, be it becomes easier to grow because then you're invited on podcasts people want to talk to you once you have a big twitter following you're almost like a credible source in whatever your subject matter is so journalists will reach out to you it sounds like in your kind of journey you've you've reached out to a lot of people and those have been some of your primary vehicles are there any other resources like communities or books or other things that you have found particularly helpful one thing i did is i like found a, i i'm all for being creative and so i looked at every college investment club and i just literally made the list of like the 500 biggest U u.s universities and the like email address for the investment club from everyone and i spent hours cold emailing all of them being like hey i started this like stock focused newsletter sign up if you'd like 
Uh, and I think that got some signups. I don't know how productive it was, but I see still see a ton of .edu emails on this. So you know, a little, it, it, you don't want to just spam people. That's not going to get you anywhere. But like a classy cold reach out, hey Rutgers Investment Club, you know, I'm starting this newsletter that helps educate people on the markets and the company corporate wrongdoing. If you're interested, you can sign up here. And once I launch a paid tier, I'm happy to give your club a few free subscriptions. And, you know, people sign up from that. I'm trying to think of what else I did. I personally, uh, at the time when I had like 3,000 Twitter followers, uh, I knew not everybody would see the tweet. And if they, my launch tweet, and if they did, they might scroll past it. I personally DM'd like 3,000 people being like, hey, I'm launching this. Here's a link to sign up. Would love your support. It'd mean the world to me. Just over and over and over and over and over again. Like, like literally two days of my life just doing that. But that, that's how you like get signups. I, I mean, that, because it's, you need to get that initial ball rolling. And now I don't need to do any of that. It's just like podcast, media, Twitter, and it just takes care of itself. But w when you want to get the ball rolling, um, that's good. The other thing I would say that I wish I did that I didn't do is if you write something really good, find the one or two, three people with big audiences that are most likely to like it. And don't say, hey, can you retweet this? Say, hey, Matt or Jim or whoever, like, I think you might be interested in this. I've loved what you wrote about on this topic. Here's an article I wrote that might be of interest. Send it to them. And, you know, they're probably not going to retweet it, but it just gives you a door open and it's nice and it's polite. What do you attribute the success of the newsletter too? Well, first, I, I, I think there's a lot of luck. I think Substack is a fantastic platform for writing a newsletter. Uh, one thing I did that I think was really smart is I reached out to all the other successful authors and asked them, what did you do that was successful? And then I gave free subscriptions, like free paid tier subscriptions to like, I think to a total of 150 people now. Because that's just a great way to build goodwill and uh, generate the word of mouth. And some people like, you know, one person I follow on Twitter is like, if you want to get a lot of value, don't focus on capturing value, focus on generating value and helping other people. So whenever I could, I'd make like lists of here's the 20 best people to follow on Twitter, or 50 best people in this topic. And people would love that the, the reception, you know, like, if I tell people subscribe to my newsletter, maybe one or two people would subscribe. But if I say, hey, go follow all these other people doing smart things, like 50 people subscribe to my newsletter. So, you know, focusing a little on that helps and, and then you just got to be good with the product if the product's not good no one cares or if they sign up they're going to churn i think i have a good product that's priced you know reasonably well 44 dollars a month one thing i will say on pricing is a lot of people like underpriced their things you should be at a price point where you know one in ten people say hey that's a little high or canceled because it's too high if everybody's okay with the pricing you're priced too low um, and then if you feel uncomfortable with that price it high but say somewhere on your newsletter or website hey you know students can get it for free if this is a burden just reach out to me and it makes you feel good because you're giving away free or discounted subscriptions to people but making the people who can full pay full freight do pay full freight I'm trying to think of like what else. Uh, Twitter is just also key. You can't like run a successful newsletter or like any writing business without sharing stuff on Twitter. You just dropped in the fact that you talked to, uh, you know, maybe over a hundred different authors about what they would advise you in starting a newsletter. And I'm curious, do you remember any of those little kernels of advice? 
a hundred might be aggressive. I gave away a hundred free subscriptions. So, so, so maybe a dozen authors and then anyone with a big Twitter following, I reached out to them saying, Hey, I'm starting this newsletter. Can I give you a free subscription? Uh, advice I got from other big authors. That was really helpful. The one that I talked to the most was petition. This anonymous publication on bankruptcy that I estimates like earning half a million dollars a year. Um, let me see if I can pull up the email that actually like sent me a long time ago. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> I asked them, is there anything you would have done differently than starting out? We should have uh, had more confidence and flipped over to paid sooner than we did. And we should have charged more coming out of the gate. We toggled to paid after having a few thousand subscribers. I totally agree with that. You know, people want to put out free content for too long. It counterintuitively, once you start launching paid content, your free list grows faster because once you're earning money from something, you just dedicate so much more time to it. So that was one piece of advice. Start a paid tier sooner. They also highlighted, similar to what I mentioned, you know, highlight other people who are either like making career moves or writing interesting things. Because when you talk about other people, then those people, especially if they have big audiences, are going to share it with other people. The, the biggest thing here is charge more money. Uh, you can always discount later, but it's harder to raise prices. So charge more money. Substack even Substack has it. So if, once you raise prices, everybody at the old pricing stays at the old pricing. You can only raise pricing for new subscribers. So charge more, charge more, charge more. And if you're uncomfortable charging more, charge more and be generous. Like I just say on my website, if you're a student, if you're unemployed, if you can't afford it, email me and I'll, I'll do something that works for you. Usually just giving it for free. Th those are all great ways to er grow in the early days. Those are such useful pieces of advice and also very, very creative growth marketing. What's next for you and, and how can people follow your journey? Alina, the best way to follow me is just go to my Twitter. I'm Edwin Dorsey or at StockJabber. But if you Google Edwin Dorsey Twitter, it'll come up. For me, I, I think I'm going to transition a little bit from exposing corporate wrongdoing just to being a general activist. So right now, most of my time is looking at public companies, one to five billion dollar market caps. But I think I can like take my skill set and expose it to like public corruption or like wrongful convictions or just like a lot of different types of injustices that involve like records and complexity. Um, so I, I could see myself going in that direction a little bit over the next few months and years. But one thing that'll be for certain is Twitter is gonna be my you know, pl place to share ideas and my newsletter is gonna stick around too. But I think I, instead of just being public companies, I'll just focus on wrongdoing everywhere and trying to shine a light on it. That's a really inspiring, you know, bigger vision. Yeah, I know. Thanks so much. And I, I agree. This is the most fun you could have for someone my age. And, you know, I think it's working well. So I like it. It does sound that way. Thank you again, Edwin. Thanks so much for joining. Yes. Thanks, Alina. Thanks for listening to Creator Habits. This show was edited and produced by me, Alina Seri, with music by Luke Tyler of Mimo Bleep. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review our show. It would mean the world.